Well, you know, of course, at the moment with COP28, the climate change summit happening at the moment, huge conversations around climate change and around how to move to cleaner power sources. And while in South Africa we have huge arguments about it all the time, some of them on this show, there's also, for the last 12 years, there's ac- we've actually been running a program that other countries could look at. It's the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Pro Procurement Program. And one of the key decisions that you have to make when you're a government is you have to work out how you're going to buy power from independent power producers. It can be very, very complicated. Julia Taylor is a researcher in climate and inequality at Wits University. Julia, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, I remember when the program started, um, the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Program, and almost immediately people said, this is actually a very good way of doing things. What did the program do that everybody liked? What was right about it? So the program managed to um, attract investment in renewable energy in South Africa at a time when it was actually a kind of emerging industry. There was quite a lot of uncertainty about the technology around renewable energy, but the program provided guarantees from the state, which encouraged um, independent producers to really set up renewable energy ahead of the curve. And were other people not trying to do the same thing? I mean, other countries were slightly ahead of us with renewable energy. Was this a different way of doing it? Yes. A kind of key difference was that we had a, well, it is a competitive bidding process. So the, the utility or the um, IPP office puts out a call for bids and then um, companies have to put forward competitive bids which are judged based on price but also on local content development and local development initiatives. So um, what was quite, I think, impressive about our system was this procurement um, process with competitive bidding which got kind of relatively lower prices compared to um, you know, what was going at the, at the current rate internationally. Um, but at the start of the program, it was really um, getting competitive in, initially. But as time has gone on, renewable energy has decreased in price so significantly that we've actually realized that we should have been a bit more adaptive in our process because now we have 20-year um, agreements with a fixed price. Um, and because prices have dropped so significantly, um, it's actually meant that we're, in, we're, we're spending quite a bit um, on those 20-year agreements. So, so one of the kind of initiatives that we think should be changed um, or addressed in the reprogram is to rethink those contracts um, so that government isn't stuck with this um, guaranteeing um, high prices for the private sector. Okay, so I mean, the people who did this first had to take the biggest amount of risk. It hadn't been done before. Um, And then at the time, the technology said the price was X. Now the price is much lower than that. Um, And I suppose the people who've taken the most risk have taken the highest profit, but they're taking quite a big profit. I mean, it doesn't really seem to have worked out in our favor at all. Exactly. That's the kind of balance that you're always um, playing with when you're when you're kind of addressing a new technology. And so government justify the process, you know, saying that there was so much uncertainty, they couldn't have known that the prices would drop so significantly. Um, But now I think we do know better. And so with the new REAP rounds, we really need to rethink how we address these contracts to allow for um, adjustments in pricing 
so that government doesn't keep kind of subsidizing private profit. Um, at the moment, Julia, as I understand it, I think it, it sounds like you're at a conference, so I'm presuming you're actually at COP28 in Dubai at the moment. Um, when you look at the debates and the tone of the debates, I mean, we hear the communiques and we hear the reports, but the actual tone of it, the mood of it, do you get a sense that this is a summit that uh, is actually going to change things? So, yes, I'm here um, in Dubai at COP28. Um the mood is very different this year from last year. I, w- I had my first COP experience last year in Egypt. And while both have been fairly bizarre in that they are kind of massive, large-scale events where a huge amounts of energy um, are being used and not extremely efficiently, um, this one does feel particularly strange because of the... Um, the, the massive scale. So last year, there were about 30,000 people in attendance. This year, it looks like more like 90,000. And apparently, the people who are increasing kind of our participation are kind of, you know, private sector entities who are now jumping on the bandwagon. And so there is a bit of criticism about who is allowed to attend and what that means for the outcomes of the negotiations. And, the fact- um, and I think I'm sorry, I interrupted sorry, you. And the fact that it's chaired by someone who actually also runs an oil company on the side, I mean, that's quite strange. He's been under a lot of pressure this week. Yes, he has. But there's been some interesting reports that um, his statement about saying that the science doesn't necessarily support a phase-out um, were potentially misreported, I think is quite interesting. Um, but I attended a meeting this morning with the researchers' constituency um, at COP, and there's an argument that he should be asked to correct his statement, um, but but kind of acknowledging what the science is arguing for, which is a maybe not a phase out of fossil fuels by 2050 exactly, but actually a reduction by specific percentages by that date. And so he needs to be, I think, very careful in how he's phrasing this um, discussion about fossil fuels. It's very clear that um, we need to significantly reduce fossil fuels in order to um, reach our Paris Agreement targets. Um, And preferably, I think activists are arguing that there should be um, a kind of pledge to achieve net zero by 2050, which would mean a complete phase out. So it kind of depends who you're speaking to. Um, Researchers and evidence shows that in order to reach the targets, um, we need to significantly decrease. Activists would say we need to completely phase out. Julia Taylor, thank you. Researcher in Climate and Inequality at Wits University, currently at COP28 in Dubai.